We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, confession to make real quick. Uh, when I saw this shirt on the rack, it reminded me of a Christmas tree. And it's because I was going quick and it was a crazy long line and I just like grabbed it and, and then I put it on this morning and realized, oh, that's, that's a lot of flowers. <laughs> I did not, I'm getting older, my eyesight's getting worse. So, hey, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to finish up chapter 2 this morning. And if you've been with us through the Advent season, what we looked at the first week was the genealogy. That's the family tree, like history of Jesus. And so this history, this great history from the beginning of God making a promise to a man named Abraham that he would build a whole nation out of him, which this nation would not just be a nation who like receives God's blessings on their own and has relationship with God on their own, but for the sake of all nations, that they would be a blessing to the whole world and invite the whole world into God's ways and into his goodness and into what true life is supposed to be like. Uh, and that this promise we see came through Jesus. And then we looked at, we heard the story of Jesus being born and God sending messengers to come and, and share with Joseph and with Mary about what was to come and, and who this child would be and that he would be named Jesus or Yehoshua, which means the Lord saves. And that people would call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us even here in this broken world. And, and then we heard about these wise men who came from really, really far away and came to come and see this king and to bow down and worship this little child. And so we're continuing in Matthew 2, and we're hearing a pretty intense story now about a wicked king and his response to the coming of the king of the whole world. And so read with me. We're going to pick up in verse 13 of Matthew 2. So it says, after they were gone, and that's those wise men who came from really far east to come and see this child named Jesus. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Herod was the king of the Jews at this time. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. And this comes out of Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are now dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was Herod's son, was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. 
Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears, our spirits to receive what you are speaking to us today. God, that on this Christmas Eve, with so many things going on in our minds and in our schedules and around us, that we would see you clearly. That we would see the beauty and the glory of who you are. And that the coming of your son, Jesus, would be more than enough for all of the needs that we feel in this point in our life. And that we would be transformed by that good news, by that truth, more and more each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes I have a lot of like friends who also pastor churches. And one of the things they share with me is sometimes they get like an email after giving a message, right? And sometimes those emails are like, hey, this is all the things you said wrong, or I have a problem with this. And so I got two uh, text message and an Instagram message this week from last week's sermon. But it was, it was good. They were good things. Uh, one was I got a message from Erica that was like, hey, it was a video of, the, check out our nativity scene, and saw the nativity scene, and then panned over across the house, and the wise men were sitting way over. And so I asked her this morning, I was like, so was that, because she said, this was Juniper's idea. I was like, did, did, was this really Juniper's idea? She's like, yeah, I asked Brian, like, hey, who moved the wise men? And he didn't do it, and, and Juniper had done it. So Juniper was paying attention. Good job, Jumi. Thanks for that. Because we, we talked about last week, like the wise men weren't there when Jesus was born. It probably was around two years later that they made it there. So that was cool. That was encouraging for me to hear that. Uh, and then the other one I got was from Forrest. It was a, a message in Instagram. It was a video clip of Peter Billingsley, who if you don't know who that is, he's the actor who played little Ralphie in A Christmas Story, the one who wanted the BB gun, you know? And uh, so this is him as a grown man, the actor, and he was... He was very convincingly laying out all the facts as to why Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. And it's compelling, you guys. And so uh, if you're still on the fence about that, just get on YouTube and search Peter Billingsley, Die Hard, and you'll be convinced too. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, Die Hard is not the only Christmas movie, though, that has a villain, right? Every Christmas movie, I think, you could say there's a villain in it. So It's a Wonderful Life has Mr. Potter, right? Uh, let's see. We got The Santa Claus. Do you remember that movie with Tim Allen? The villain is the roof <laughs> Santa falls off of, right? Um, you got one, Arlie? Candy Cane Lane. Yeah, it's got the elf. That's a new one. We just watched that too. Yeah, the, the elf, that's all kind of mean. Yeah. The Grinch has The Grinch, right? You got one, Avery? There's a, the dark black Santa Claus. Which one's that? What movie? Oh, but he was a good guy. He just couldn't get his elf in control. <laughs> Rudolph? Yeah, those mean reindeer, the abominable snowman. Yeah. In the movie Elf, you got uh, first... It was the 
What? The store guy. Yeah, he was kind of mean. The Santa that, that he has, that tackles him, right? Uh, but then you also have the Central Park Rangers, right? They're coming after Santa in the end. So every movie I think you can argue, and we can talk about this all day, has some kind of villain in it, right? Some kind of evil force. And that's true in this Christmas story too, in the real Christmas story that we have this evil King Herod. And so Herod was actually, he was the king over the Jews. Now, if you guys remember, Rome was actually in control over like the whole known world at this time. And so there was the emperor of Rome who really controlled all things. But what they did was they allowed certain people that they occupied to have a little bit of like their own culture going on and make them feel like they have a little bit of control. And so they allowed the Jewish people to have their own king. King Herod. And Herod was supposed to be representing the people of Israel. But what we know about Herod, not only from scripture, but also from other historical contexts, is that Herod was very, very obsessed with this idea that he could lose his power and his control. And he was very violent because of it. In fact, we've been told uh, in other accounts, historical accounts, that he killed lots of other people, including his, one of his own siblings, in order to keep control of his own power, being king over the Jews. And you're like, why is this our Christmas story, right? Like, why aren't we going back to the manger scene? Like, what? this is Christmas Eve. This is supposed to be cheery, right? We're supposed to be spreading holiday cheer and merrymaking and all that good stuff. But this is the reality of the Christmas that first came. This is the reality of that little baby Jesus that we get pictures of, right? Who is actually the God over the whole world, breaking into the brokenness of this earth. And he didn't come on this holy silent night, right? Babies scream when they're born, okay? It wasn't very silent. And and it wasn't all perfect and, and picturesque and like, Pinterest worthy, like these, these images, right? It, it was a dirty, broken world full of poverty and oppression for the Jews. And not even just by Rome, but even by their very own king. You have two young people who were scared about having this baby in this world and in this context and scared about what that would mean for all the people, how they would judge them because they had not actually been married yet and they were having a child. And, and they lived in poverty themselves and they were trying to just even find a place where they could have this child, right? And then after they had this child and they get through all that, two years later, while they're in their home trying to raise this young one, they hear news that their own king is going to come and try to murder their baby, this infant that was promised to them by God and promised would be their rescuer, the one who would come and make all things right, bring salvation to the world. And their very own king is threatening to kill him. And so Jesus, from his entering into this world, has experienced the brokenness of this world. And he ends up being one who is oppressed and on the run, being persecuted himself. So they go, they run and they flee. And this is the reality of the world we live in that today is not a whole lot better, is it? 
that there are millions of people who feel this kind of oppression and persecution. That we ourselves, even though we uh, mask it with a lot of comforts around us, we feel the tension within our own selves that, hey, this, this Christmas doesn't feel the way it should sometimes, right? Because we have our own brokenness that's going on. And the good news of this story is this, is that God is with us in all of that. Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't mean that as soon as he comes, everything is perfect in that moment. But what it does mean, the promise we do get, is that he is with us in the midst of it. Whatever you're dealing with right now, God is present here in his world and he cares. He's not a God who sits back and waits for us to get it together before we can come near to him. He's a God who comes down and pursues us in the midst of everything falling apart. And he subjects himself to that own brokenness and he makes himself one who is actually frail and in need and dependent upon others in the midst of all that. I mean, he becomes fully human in every single way. This is the message of Christmas because many of us are sitting in this room and we're not just thinking about how nice our tree looks. And we're not just thinking about how we can't wait to unwrap the presents underneath of it. But we have all kinds of other things going on, swirling in our heads and in our hearts that we're struggling with, aren't we? And we need to hear that God is still with us just as he was 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth as a human. God is still with us. But Matthew, as he wrote this, was trying to do something even deeper here, I think. Because not only was he showing us, hey, Jesus has come, God, to be with us in the midst of brokenness, but I think he was also reminding his original audience, the Jewish people, that they were a big part of that brokenness. When we look at this, when we read this, the the threat is coming not from Caesar, the emperor of Rome, but from King Herod of the Jews. And so those wise men, they went to the palace first of Jerusalem. They, They went to go see the king of the Jews to go, hey, we've heard that there's this king of the Jews coming, one who would actually bring a good kingdom and bring rescue and hope. And they went there thinking, surely their current king is going to rejoice in that. And surely he'll know where this new king is. And what they found instead was that this threatened his power and it angered him. And when Matthew retells us the story, he very intentionally reminds us of another story that happened before, doesn't he? There's this guy named Joseph who through dreams given to him by God interprets, hey, we need to go find safety in Egypt. Does that sound familiar to anybody? There was another Joseph who received dreams and could interpret dreams from God. And he ended up actually leading his family to Egypt to find shelter and food and rescue when they were in trouble in a famine. Now, it turns out decades later that that place ended up being a trap, right? They end up finding themselves enslaved there for 400 years. 
But there's a child who's born. There's a baby born. And in fact, the king hears that there would be a baby born to the Jews who would bring rescue to them. And this king, he's getting nervous too about how big this community of the Israelites is becoming. This community of the Jewish people is growing and growing. And what if they decided one day that they were fed up with us being in control over them? And so threatened with losing his power, this king decides to kill all the male Jews two years and under. Does this sound familiar? The Pharaoh of Egypt, right? And as Moses is born, they hide him in a basket and they send him down the Nile River. And this Moses, he he ends up being rescued by God and taken care of. And later, as he goes to try to protect one of his fellow Jewish people, he ends up actually killing somebody. And because of that, he goes on the run and he hides in the mountains. But then he's told by a message from God later, hey, go ahead and go back now because those who were planning to kill you are no longer around. Again, same message Joseph gets. Go and return. You can come back out of Egypt because Herod, who was trying to kill you, is no longer there. So Matthew's very intentionally reminding his hearers of this earlier story. Why is that? Why do they need to hear about Moses and the Exodus out of Egypt to know what's going on with Jesus now? In fact, when that uh, verse was first said from Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son, it was God talking about Israel. He was calling all of Israel his son. And now Matthew's repurposing that and saying, Jesus is the true son born out of Israel that God says this about. I think what's happening here is Matthew saying, hey, look, you guys, we have become like Egypt. Egypt used to be a place of rescue and hope for our people. And then out of greed for power, it became something altogether different. And in the same way now, our very own king has become like Pharaoh. And this was true for Israel all throughout the story, you guys. All throughout the story of the Bible, over and over again. They would cry out to their God to come and rescue them, and he would, but then they would quickly become like their enemies who were attacking them. They would worship the same gods. They would do all the same atrocious things. And now in the same way, Matthew's saying, we have become the problem. We are trying to get rid of our very own rescuer. And this matters for us today because as we sit here and we think about all the things wrong in the world and we remind ourselves that God is with us, we have to also face the reality that we are part of what's wrong with the world, don't we? That we ourselves have a little bit of Herod within each of us. That when we hear news about a king, not just a baby, an infant born in a manger, who would save us if we say a simple prayer, but no, a king who lays claim to rule over all of heaven and earth, including our individual hearts, there's a part of us that feels threatened, just like Herod. Because that means we have to submit ourselves to him. We have to give rule and authority of our 
own lives to this king. The king of the Jews is the king of all creation, and he's the king over you and I. And so what do we do with that? I think the good news is that we remind ourselves that this king came not to shed innocent blood like Herod or Pharaoh, but to shed his own innocent blood, not to maintain his power and control, but to invite us into the kingdom with him. You see that? Herod was saying, I'm willing to kill innocent people so that I could keep my place on the throne. And Jesus left his place on the throne and shed his own innocent blood so you and I could enter into the kingdom. This great reversal is exactly what Christmas is about. Because if we just stop at the manger, if we just stop at the birth of God with us in this world, that's a nice story. But it becomes complete and full when that baby grows to be a man who is murdered, put into a tomb, and on the third day rises again out of it. That's what makes Christmas powerful. That Jesus overcomes sin, death, Satan, and even our own wickedness. And that he comes to invite us into the kingdom with him. That we now can follow him through death into life. That we now can actually, even here and now, as God is with us, overcome the wickedness and sin in our own hearts that we can overcome the temptations, but also the feelings of being threatened by losing control and power over our own lives because we can give it over to a good king who gave his own life on our behalf. So the things that we want to grab a hold of, that maybe we're unwilling to let go of this Christmas, the things that we're saying, I don't know if I want Jesus to be king over that, My prayer is that as we see this Jesus who is willing to come and be with us in the brokenness and to be broken for us, that we would see that there is no fear in letting go of those things because we hand it over to someone who is fully capable and fully desires to handle it with love, with grace, and with hope for new life out of it. And so as we go into celebrating Christmas, as as you leave this place and maybe you go see Christmas lights together, maybe you're drinking cocoa, tomorrow morning you're ripping paper off of things that you'll use for three months. As we do those things, may we hold on to the hope that we have in this King Jesus. And may we let go of the things that are getting in the way of him truly ruling over us. Amen.